listeners. Welcome to While the Applause is Paused, conversations with regional theater makers. I'm your host, Lacey Tucker. Join me as I talk with artistic leaders around the country about what's challenging and constricting, or creative and exciting, or all of the above, in the pandemic. Curtain up on some real conversation for these real times. week, we welcome Maurice Emanuel Parent and Dawn Meredith Simmons of the Front Porch Arts Collective. Hello, hello. This week, we have such abundance with not one, but two incredible guests. Dawn Meredith Simmons is the artistic director, and Maurice Emanuel Parent is the executive director of the Front Porch Arts Collective, informally known as The Porch. Dawn is a director, a playwright, and an arts administrator. She has worked with, among many other theaters, Actors Shakespeare Project, Speakeasy Stage Company, Greater Boston Stage Company, Bad Habit Productions, Anthem Theater, Boston Public Works, and Lyric Stage Company. She's the co-artistic director of New Exhibition Room and a founding member of the Small Theater Alliance Boston and executive director of Stage Source. Maurice is an award-winning actor, director, educator, and mentor. He has over 40 acting credits at theaters across the nation and abroad, as well as at some of Boston's oldest and most respected companies. His work as an actor has earned him two Elliot Norton Awards from the Boston Theater Critics Association, three Independent Reviewers of New England Awards, and an Arts Impulse Award. He's also been an educator for nearly a decade. He's taught for Northeastern University, MIT, the Boston Conservatory at Berkeley, and also for six years as a performing artist specialist in the Boston public school system. Currently, he's a full-time professor at Tufts in the Department of Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies, and also visiting faculty at the Boston University School of Theater. So in this episode, Maurice and Don reference a lot of different theaters, some theater history, and some technical aspects of starting a nonprofit theater company. But don't worry, because if you want to know more about any of the resources they mention, they're all in the show notes. I also want to give a quick shout out to my friend Nehesayu Degan, the amazing human who introduced Maurice and I, and Nehesayu, we love and admire you. So I could gush all day about this episode, but how about I just let you listen to it instead? I am so glad to have you both here today, Don and Maurice. You are the co-founders of the Front Porch Arts Collective in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I have so many questions for you, and it's just a thrill to have you here, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks for having us. I would love to start by you telling us all about your mission and your community. Cool. I'll get started. Thank you for having us. And Don, should I tell the origin story? Should we, should we go there? I, I do enjoy <laughs> telling this story. Like so much in the theater, uh, great ideas happen. I'm not promoting alcoholism, but so many great ideas happen at the bar. <laughs> and <laughs> on opening night after a performance, um, and that is certainly how this idea for our company came about. I, uh, my wonderful friend and colleague, Don Meredith Simmons, had directed a production of Pretoria Hall's Saturday Night, Sunday Morning at the Lyric Stage Company of Austin. And after opening night performance, I at the bar after this Manhattan number two, I like mine on the rocks with extra cherry. She prefers hers up. Uh-huh. Okay. We're noted. And- <laughs> I leaned over. I was like, wouldn't it be great if there was a theater company that did shows like this all year long? And the, the show was, um, I'm, I'm sorry, is a 100% all Black cast, overwhelmingly uh, a Black female cast. And I just was surrounded by friends and colleagues and inspired by the beautiful acting and the directing. And I was just like, wouldn't it be great if, and we were 
I was grateful that the company was producing the show, but like, wouldn't it be great if there's a company whose entire mission was to do shows like this all year long, as opposed to maybe one show a season um, with a predominantly white institution is a predominantly white institution might my program. And then for a little bit over four years later, here we are. She was like, I think that is a great idea. Glug, glug, glug. And then we, we pretended, we, we proceeded to uh, start brainstorming. That's amazing. And I, I'm, well, actually, I want to add this. I said it was a great idea, but like had had a couple cocktails. So didn't think anything of it. And then the next month, Maurice <laughs> called my bluff, right? He was like, you said this was a great idea. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you were serious. Let's do this. Let's do this. Right. Because the opportunity, I mean, the opportunity was now and uh, the, the time, I think the timing, right. We've been really successful, I think, because we hit, we hit the need of the city and this community at the, at the right time. Um, and that's something that I really value in Maurice as a partner. He, he sees an opportunity is like, we're doing it. And I'm like, shit. Let's get in there. And it's taken off and it's just been really beautiful. Right. Thank you for that, Donna. And I value you as a as a partner. We certainly aren't by any means the first black theater company. We aren't the only Boston has a legacy that dates back to like the federal theater project in terms of black theater in this area. And also um sorry, when you say the federal theater project you're talking about during the depression? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just wanted to for people who might not know. Okay, go on. Yeah. So being a part of that legacy and um, realizing sort of the shoulders we're standing on, the community that we want to be a part of and know that our goals are to uh, create a theatrical home that explores stories of the diaspora because there's no, being a black person in this country is, is not a monolithic experience. There's a lot of nuance and beautiful uh, narratives and, and, and um, differences and nuance of story and culture within the umbrella of being part of the African diaspora. So how can you make a theater company that's dedicated to that all year long? And also being run, not just having that representation on stage, but in the audience, backstage, in the boardroom, and on the staff. So we have that culture represented in the from the DNA of the company from from its inception, and we are telling these stories from an authentic place because these are stories that we are that are part of our own narratives and and heritage, and then also reaching out to the audience and the communities of Boston from a genuine place because you know we all we call ourselves the Porch Family. <laughs> we're building it. We're making theater, but we're also building a community and a family. I was on your website yesterday, in fact, and the photo, the front page, homepage, yeah, that would be the word, Lacey, the homepage photo, ooh, it's early, but it's not at all, it's just just me today, is so gorgeous when you talk about family. Uh, that was really the sense that I got from it. It's just a very arresting photo. Are those other people in that photo, as what are they, I think they're about eight people, are they also part of your core group? So many of them are part of our core group. Some of them, because we took that picture early on, um, have moved on to other things. But for the most part, right, when we say family, even though friends uh, may have moved on, they are still involved in some kind of way. Um, so two of those folks are now part of our board, right? One of them is a frequent collaborator. And then there are some other people who are doing some of the core work 
of this organization who are not in that picture, right? Uh, Pascal, who works uh, as our education director, Phyllis uh, Pascal Corsal, um, Phyllis Smith, who is our production manager. They're not pictured, but they are folks who came on just a little bit after or just as we were like in that process of, okay, this thing is taking off and now we have to start talking about us and we have to start showing people who we are. Um, and they've been really um, just incredibly integral to the work that we're doing. And especially in this time of pandemic, when it's a little, sometimes it's catch as catch can. And sometimes it's, oh, this amazing opportunity has come up right now. Who's on first? Um, and so wanting to acknowledge that, right, like that, that picture is just the start of who we are. And right, as soon as we can all get out of our homes and we're safe in the arms of the vaccine, uh, we want to update so that we're reflecting again who we are now. And I think that's this organization has evolved so beautifully over the last four years, continually meeting the moment, right? Meeting the moment of pandemic, programming smartly, uh, the education work that we did this summer with Commonwealth Shakespeare Company, right? Really meeting the moment to provide services to BIPOC students, BIPOC up and coming actors at a time where they would normally, right? If we could move about the cabin freely, uh, would be taking classes and workshops and really honing their skills. Like we were able to give them something online to take care of that need. Um, the Juneteenth programming that we did and then the culling together of information to bring visibility to what all of the incredible black artists in this community are doing and who they are. And right, like sort of driving that conversation um, and bringing visibility to that. And then I think the incredible concert that we were able to do at Starlight Stage in Central Square, being able to, in a small window, get outdoors and then having uh, having the ability and the foresight to get in there and program and program something that something of joy that people need right now. Being able to meet those moments, being able to be that flexible. And then the work that we actually did, just like the, the programming of shows with our co-producing partners, Again, always something that speaks to the moment or that, or that's educating you about a part of our history that you don't know. I'm going to tie it all in. I promise you the imagery that we go forward with, forward with, I think always um, speaks to that evolution of our process, of our team, of our thinking and our place in this community. So I cannot wait until we can get out there and get those images up and in the world. That was beautiful. And getting back. Yeah, really and, was. Um, just, yeah. <laughs> always value your thinking, Don. And specifically the shots you re referenced on our website were taken by Niall Scott Hover, who uh, has been a supporter and a family member since the beginning. He's a photographer um, who is a friend of mine. We, he's also an actor. We'd worked together and I told him about the company and so Dear Provision, he did all that pro bono saying like, this is organization should exist. And then separate of that, he also was cast in our very first show, Breath and Imagination. And um, it's interesting. We we are clear about our mission. We are a black theater company. We want we want to put out into the world narratives, explore the diaspora. We want to make sure that culture is overwhelmingly represented on all areas of the company, in the audience as well, and on the boardroom staff, backstage, but for everyone. If you want to be part of a of a place that centers black narratives, come on board. And Niall's a perfect example of that he he is not a person of color. He also is one of our largest donors. He 
did a, a whole fundraising strategy where he, once it was safe to reopen the studio, a portion of all of his photographs and headshots came to the porch. And then so many people signed on, so many people uh, donated a portion of their fees to us that he's like our third largest individual donor because of that. So it's just an example of how in these times you can be specific about narrative, be specific about perspective and and art, but also inclusive at the same time, like around that specificity can be healing and actually can be very inclusive. We've had people that come to us and say, like, our efforts to sort of center certain narratives and uplift communities and, and Black communities seems exclusionary or exclusive, which actually is the opposite. It's actually inclusive. We're actually riding the ship, as Don often says, where it's, you know, we're just building a place that centers our perspectives and our narratives in ways that other perspectives and narratives are centered in other institutions. But if you're cool with that centering in those narratives, come on. No one's telling you not to come. We're saying, come bring your friends, bring your family. Know that this is the, but this is the home for these narratives. Down the street might be a home for another narratives. And that's cool too. Well, I just, I wanna really congratulate you on building something so robust in just four years, because I, I have also helped to build a theater company uh, several in the past, and it is not easy. I mean, the economics of it are just not on your side as an artist and as a founder. And I just, you know, your your programming is so robust. Your your mission is so full. You both just express it so beautifully that um, I just think it's really it's an amazing feat, especially to be surviving during the pandemic. And Don, you spoke already a, a lot about the type of programming that you've been doing during the pandemic. Well, let me just ask a question because I have seen several things at Central, the Central Square Theater and you have a home there, right? I do. Did that come after you founded the company? Was that part and parcel of the founding? Is that um, a grant? You know, I'm just I'm just curious about your relationship with that sure. space. Well, so let me start and then Mo jump in. Because uh, again, and this sort of speaks to what I was saying earlier about Mo like knowing and being able to like take advantage of the moment. So we had started these conversations about the porch, right? We didn't have a title then, but we had, we were starting this conversation about let's start a company. And Maurice was working on a show at Central Square, The Convert, uh, which was right this mm. Which I saw. Gorgeous show, right? Like, absolutely. <laughs> gorgeous. Gorgeous show. Gorgeous show. Um, <laughs> right? That's yes. Yes. That is, in fact, how Maurice and I first met, although we may not have remembered it. Right. See, like, I want to say small world, but like, no, we're just doing what we're supposed to do and meeting the people we're supposed to meet and the time we're supposed to meet them. Um, well, so, right, he's doing a show and he's talking with the executive director over there, Kathy Carr Kelly, with all the folks at uh, what, Underground and Nora and telling them ab about us starting this organization. And Kathy told him that she wanted to help. And so we got uh, together in a conversation. Uh, Maurice was like, hey, let's they want to help. Not sure how. Why don't we have a conversation? See where it is. And me, I'm like, D we're like two months out. We don't know what we are. Why are we having a conversation? And then, right, you think better of it, like, yeah, why not? Actually, let's see what they can do. I mean, they have a different model. They're, um, they're successful. Like, what, what can we learn? And Kathy, honestly, this woman just was like, I am prepared to do whatever it takes to make space in this community for an organization like yours to get up and running and be successful. And so the thing that I always tell everybody, because I, when people are like, how can we help? What can we give you? How can we get you in residence? All of those questions. I'm like, let me tell you what this woman did without hesitation, without double thinking. She handed us keys. In my purse are keys to Central Square Theater. In Maurice's pocket are keys to Central Square Theater. She was like, my home is your and home. And in my purse. In, <laughs> my purse <too. laughs> in, in everybody's, everybody's purse. purse. 
right? <laughs> Gave us keys, told us that her home was our home, that we can come in there and rehearse, that we can come in there and have a meeting, that we can program there, which led to conversations, which got us programming um, our first year of productions, which were the God's Closet reading series with Liana, who is pictured in that beautiful image that you talked about on our website's homepage. Just that, right? I'm giving you space free of charge. You don't have to worry about it. And then that opened the door for us to be in there more often, have conversations to sort of hear things for her to just say, hey, I'm thinking about something. I want to I want to run it past you. Right. They're working as our fiscal sponsor. She's like, you guys are going to need somebody to collect money for you. You can use us. They can make a tax deductible contribution. Right. How can we start to program together, use our infrastructure to help get your name out there and not have to do so much um, of the work right from the start? Right. Um, she introduced us to her donors. She helped start these conversations with our first set of co-producing partners um, at Lyric and at Greater Boston Stage. Um, sorry, Mo, you were going to say? No, I think you're completely okay. you're on a roll. So, right. Like it, it was that it, that one person to invest, but to invest in a different way. I'm sure there was an expectation on her end of like, I'm going to get something on the back end. But right. The way in which that was borne out was like, I'm going to do everything in my power to try to like get you guys to a place of success. I'm going to do everything in my power, whether consciously or uh, unconsciously, to help you bypass the fringe level and like automatically be working at this sort of mid-sized level so that you have the visibility with the press, right? Um, so that you have visibility with funders. You know, it just occurred to me that this, what you're describing, could be a model for other, you know, when you have a larger established institution to bring in rather than as, as you said, Maurice, you know, one production per season that that they produce, cast, choose, etc. that speaks to other people's perspectives, non white perspectives, you know, to bring in instead a young company, let them do the programming, let them, you know, have the artistic reins. Um, I don't know, that just popped into my head. It's just, it sounds like a, something that maybe we should be talking about for, for other people I mean, as I well. Think absolutely. And Central Square has designs on doing that, right? Uh, as we start to leave the nest, uh, we are moving towards our 501c3. We have our application in. Um, so that is... Congratulations. We're super excited. And it's just a matter of time. But like once that happens, how are we now making space? And CST, CST is really interested in, in turning this into a model where they're helping to do that. Now, I think for other organizations, in, particularly in our city, but right in other parts of the nation, it, there's, I cannot tell you what intestinal fortitude it takes to actually do the things that they do, right? And I'm sure she's looking mm -hmm. at the bottom line, don't get me wrong, but like the first thing in her head, at least, is the, I'm going to make space any way I can. And I don't know that everybody has the stomach for that. Um, I wish they did. I wish mm -hmm. there was someone to have it. That's what I was going to say. Like the, to piggyback on, on exactly what you said, Don, was um the whole support of the port started with a grant that we were going to apply for a Fox Foundation grant, um, me as an individual, but then looping in the organization, Deborah Wise at um, Central Square, and I were talking about we were we designed that grant. We ended up not getting it. As soon as we got to know Kathy said, as Don pointed out, we're still committed to supporting you. And I just really want to reinforce what you said, Don, is like the level of support that it would take to incubate an organization to um, a, a culturally specific organization by a large institution for eventual leaving of the nest is really, really um, personal. It's on many levels and it's really complete. Um, you, it's not just 
the, the first step, which was amazing, was giving us the keys, but then they went beyond because it's also making sure that we have our own relationship with foundations and funders separate of the organization. They put us in front of their donors. And a lot of times, large organizations are, are fearful of that, thinking that the donors will stop giving to the big organization, only give to the small organization. But they are putting their money where their mouth is, honestly. And if the idea is that if someone is well-heeled enough to give to one organization, they usually have the funds to give to two. But if you're committed to the success of this organization, that's a risk you have to take, knowing that eventually they're going to leave the nest and be their own institution. It's about what is right versus what is um, comfortable in many ways. So... Um, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and cut. Scene. <laughs> I mean, that was really well said. <laughs> and and I think this is a really important conversation. Um, I'm excited for people to hear it. So let's put this all into the boiling pot of 2020 and the pandemic. And I'd love to know, you know, in March of 2020, what you were doing as a company, what you were in the middle of, what you were planning for, and then how that may have changed given the theater shutdown that we all are so aware of. Um, and that, what did you do then? You know, what happened? How did you, how did you pivot? How did you decide what to do next? I'll start then, Don, please um, um, chime in as you feel moved to. Is it, we are a company of, um, we are a company, but also a company of individual artists. So we're all doing things for the porch, but then also are maintaining our uh, individual acting jobs and directing jobs and teaching jobs. And that's where we were founding ourselves in March. So we all, there was a combination of things that the organization had to hold and stop. And also things that we were working on individually that we had to um, stop and eventually either go online with or let go. So I'm also a professor. I work uh, full-time at Tufts University. So all the shifting of your courses going on Zoom and teaching, <laughs> figuring out really quickly how to teach acting on Zoom, which was a thing, which is we're still working out. Um, I was directing a play for another university. Oh, and these young folks, we had, we had, they had worked so hard. They worked so hard and they had gotten um, through rehearsal. We were just about to start tech and open in a week. I had just blocked the final thing, <laughs> gearing up for tech. But um, we ended up, they ended up doing, it's heartbreaking. And the young folks, a lot of them were seniors. They ended up doing some type of a virtual sing of, it was a musical, the musical Violet. Um, oh, that but, is truly one of my favorite musicals of oh, all time. You were, right? you were directing Violet? What? Yes. Are you, I mean, oh. yes. And it's beautiful. And Lacey, these kids had worked so hard. It, I, They were singing like angels. And big up to the Suffolk University cast of Violet. I love you all. And I'm proud to have even guided you through this amazing show, which I did like years ago in a community theater. <laughs> like I had no, you know, um, but uh, they were doing way better than I was and had any right to be guiding. It was, yeah. And it's such a great yeah. story. And and at, yeah. in a time when like the sort of my statement when we got started with the thing was like in a time when people who maybe are from the areas that Violet is from sound the way she sounds, has experience that she has, in a time when people like those are demonized and, and right off the bat, and I'm not saying a lot of times you, you need to <laughs> highlight and quote unquote cancel some people for what they say and do what they believe, but at least give them the benefit of the doubt. Because Violet is a story of somebody who is from a small town, had um, no experience of people of color at a time, the 60s, this tumultuous time racially. And she journeys and she goes from her small experience and she was given the benefit of the doubt and able to grow and understand and realize like the ways I was raised 
are not serving me now that I'm outside of my bubble. And now I'm seeing the world, the larger perspective and was able to grow and change and become a new human. And if we don't give people that opportunity to do that, we are not going to heal as a nation. Sometimes people are given the opportunity and don't make those changes. And that's when they need to be put on blast. But until that, give them the opportunity to grow and change. You never know what they're dealing with. He has this disfiguring scar that is that defines how she sees the world. You know, right. so and, yeah. And I always thought that scar was well. The I saw the roundabout production. I guess wow, it was five, six years ago now. And and in that production, she didn't. There was nothing actually visible on her face. She, as you're speaking, I'm I'm you know realizing the brilliance of yet again, because it, that scar could be anything and could be in any person, whatever that scar is, it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be visible. It's usually not visible. Yeah. She's like an mm -hmm. allegory in that way, almost. Mm -hmm. Whatever emotional pain or, you know, trauma that you experienced that, um, yeah, I also didn't have a vis visible scar. Um, in, in my, you know, we didn't get to tech though, but like whatever, whatever inciting event or incident that happened to you, the young person that finds how you see the world, um, you just never know what those are for people. And then, and then what tools and experiences they need to be able to, in some way, process it and deal with it. Because when you're traumatized as a young person, part of you never grows past that age. So I, I've gone down a whole rabbit hole. We, we could do a, a whole separate, <laughs> literally, we could do a separate episode on Violet because I yeah. love hearing your perspective, having come to it as a director and um, yeah, wow, okay. Yeah. Don, I'm, I want to give a, Don the spotlight because back to this, the facts and the figures about the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So at the time, uh, at that time in March, uh, the front porch was rehearsing fabulation or the, what is it? The re-education of Undine, um, by Lynn Nottage. This was our co-production with Lyric Stage. Um, and we were sort of watching, like really closely monitoring what was going on in the nation and what news was coming back from uh, DC. And very slowly, Courtney O'Connor and I started having these conversations of, hey, we might have to, we might have to pause. Things are looking weird and people are kind of closing up shop. We might have to, we might have to figure out like taking a week off. And then the, the intricate puzzle of what does it mean if we have to take a week off? How naive we were at the start of March when we're like, it's going to be a week, maybe two. It's fine. It's fine. We've built in room for the schedule. There was, uh, I think there was room in everybody's contracts that we might extend. And so looking at the extension as a, okay, that just means we're going to push it back two weeks and we're going to go into that extension and use that. Like we're doing all of this sort of like trying to figure out what does this mean for rehearsal? What does it mean for the contract? The set's already been built. Can it hang out, uh, in storage for a little bit? Like we're trying to do all these things. And I remember really like, we had a, we had an actor from Florida that we were housing, right? Trying to figure out all of these sort of like little pieces. Like, okay, he's going to have to go home for two weeks. He'll come back for a little bit. What does this look like? And so there was a point where, right, everything closed down and we're like, great, we're taking the week off. And we're like, great, we will keep you all informed when we're coming back. We had a Zoom conversation with the cast to try to figure things out, see where everybody was, right? Like, this is disrupting everybody's lives. We came back, I think, for like maybe a day or two, right? People were talking about not be wanting to be on the phone. Oh, my gosh. I remember we had this one scared. This was intense. There's uh, an actor who's working on the show, right? Uh, I'm directing the show. One of the actors who's working on the show also in her day job, right, is working to do sort of creative work uh, in the senior sector. And 
finds out that somebody who was in right one of the rooms that she was in that she was working in had COVID. So now we're all like, what does this mean? She stays away for two weeks. We lose like, or she stays away for a couple of days. Uh, doesn't get a test because other folks in that facility were getting a test to find out that person didn't have it. But like, right, this was the start of the anxiety, right? As we're sort of trying to figure all of this stuff out. We go away for two weeks. At the end of the first week, I think Courtney and I and Maurice and Matt, like the principals of each company, we're having this really hard conversation of, oh, this isn't a two-week thing. This is this is going to be a month. This is going to be maybe two months. And we can't keep everybody on the line for that long. They've got the next project. And at that time, we're expecting that all of the next projects will happen. Right. I mean, isn't it amazing looking back and knowing what we know now? It's, it's a little mind-blowing. But yeah, going back to that time, I mean, that's exactly yeah. how, how many people were responding. Right. Yeah. We're like, oh, this is temporary. Knowing what I know now, I probably, what I wish we had done was pull the plug on everything sooner and started planning for like, great, we're not doing this right now. When do we think we can? What can we substitute with? I wish we had, I like, and there's no way to know this until you're in it, right? But I would have said like, great, call it time of death is now. Is there something that we can do with these actors uh, digitally that for the next like two? Hurt. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I got, I like, I, no, you're I'm right, good though. for a turn of phrase. Oh, you yeah. are. That was good. <laughs> that, that resonated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, there's no way to know, but there are things that I would have done so very differently that I think knowing now what we know about uh, producing digitally. And I mean, I think we've talked about this before too, right? Like, there are some of us that are nervous about moving into digital production because in the beginning, right, it looks very amateurish. Like many of us, not all of us, because there's some of our friends came out the gate like, damn. But for a lot of folks, right, but that digital world looked kind of amateur. And when we're used to producing world-class work, right, when you go to see a front porch show, you're like, good Lord, the design, the actors, like everything is at the top of its game. So like for me, hesitant to move into that digital world and sort of look like kids trying to figure out how to like, right? Like, is your mic on? You're, you're muted. You're not talking. Right. Like didn't want to go through all of that. Um, and now I think what it will teach me to do is be bolder and be able to be okay with that. Like do it, get something out there. Now we're all figuring it out. We'll learn as we go. Um, that said, the way that we, uh, went about things, I mean, I think. Uh, I think our stuff, we've had the benefit of watching other folks do things, learning from that. And so some of our stuff looks uh, a lot slicker uh, and some of our stuff is right. Like it, it is what it is. But yeah, I might have made some different decisions. But again, who knew? Like we're 10 months out. I was just saying to a friend, we've now had a baby and we've had it in our home for a month. Yes. I was literally just thinking this morning as I was thinking about this podcast um, that I'm I'm going to release it in, in the next couple of weeks and that it's taken a long time for me to get to that point. And I was like, what animal gestates for more than nine months? Because that's what I am. I have to go look that up. I know there I are a few. The elephant. I believe an <laughs> elephant gestates for 10. Right. So I guess maybe I'm an elephant when it comes We're to this podcast. <laughs> Um, where did you look for guidance or even just facts about what to do during that time? Or even now, where are you looking as you plan for the future? I would say 
places that we look. So in my day job, uh, I run an organization called Stage Source. It's a member service organization for theater professionals. And so what it has allowed, um, what we've been able to do there is actually pull on the expertise of other people in our community. And so the, the New England theater community, I think, has actually pulled together in really interesting ways. Uh, Zoom being a huge help that like at any point in the week, you can probably jump on a call with 10 other people in a group. Like stage source in the beginning, like we ran conversations, we ran Zoom conversations asking everybody, like, what are you dealing with right now? What are the questions that you have? What's keeping you up at night? What are you worried about? And then like, right, bringing, right, like always inviting, hey, Maurice, come into this conversation. Let's listen to what all these folks are saying. And then like, what do we need to take from there? The artistic directors uh, in Boston and New England got together and started having their conversations about like, here's what's keeping us up at night. Here are the things that we need to do. Here's how we can look towards better. There are so many um, art service organizations in New England alone, but also like right across the nation that we have also pulled on for help. So like in a very practical way, I think there are a lot of people in the community having these sort of conversations, a lot of people pulling too. And uh, Maurice and I, having worked in this community for over 50 years combined, (laughs) right? Like when you look at how long we've been here, maybe 50 is hyperbolic, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, we also know a lot of people. So I think we are also able to have discrete conversations, pulling from our own mentors, pulling from the people that we really like to have those sort of, what should we be thinking about? What are we missing, right? And we've been able to talk about fundraising and talk about programming, keep our name out there and keep things going and sort of uh, not hibernate, but not panic about not producing, right? Mm-hmm. We've been able to insert ourselves in some of those great conversations and mm-hmm. people sometimes come to us. Right. Like, what are you doing? How are you doing it? But I think organizations, the art service community in Boston and New England have been incredible um, in terms of getting resources and things like people like Cara Elliott Ortega, the city of Boston, right, has put together a lot of stuff that we can take advantage of, has helped get a lot of funding into people's hands. Same with uh, Mass Cultural Council. Our good friend and funding champion, Eva Rosenberg, over at the Boston Foundation, right, is one of those people who has also been like just pumping information, pumping opportunities out into the world. It's a really well-connected community, and we are fortunate to be well-connected people uh, in the community so that we we can avail ourselves. Yeah, and good um, that was beautifully put. And we do benefit from a community that holds us up because I one thing that I like to articulate about the porch in response to the COVID. <laughs> What's a nice way to put it? Like uh, <laughs> reorganization of the world. I was going to say, you know, shit show, but whatever. I don't know if I can say that language, language. Yep, you can, you can say it. We'll just, we'll put a little ex- explicit. <laughs> Oh, well, I can say it again nicer, like the in the uh, show notes. No, I like it. I, I think it's you know, I think it's accurate. Um, that so. We are we being a small organization at this point, we don't have the overhead costs of some of the other organizations. So we're not paying for space. We don't have a large uh, staff and large and, and paying salaries right now. We're, we're moving. We get, we pay siphons, but we, we don't have those overhead costs. But we were on the brink of getting there. And when COVID hit and it was more our upper trajectory that was really interrupted and um, we were kind of left. We had to close some shows, you know, but that was one thing. But the other thing that really kind of um, impacted is my thinking was like, where do we go? You know, COVID has completely disrupted our our mobility and our, our momentum. 
Uh, and then the community was like, no, this, you're an organization we want to see succeed. So all the people that, that Don mentioned and others were um, have, have really rallied and in, in made sure our organization, other organizations, particularly culturally specific, particularly BIPOC focused, particularly black focused organizations, you know, there's still a lot of work to do and there's still a lot of obstacles to overcome. But we as a community are saying like, particularly these organizations need to survive in response to not just a pandemic of COVID, but systemic racism that is being highlighted in response to the murder of George Floyd, you know, and which which I feel really blessed to be in a community that values that. And it's one other thing I wanted to say. Um, also, I want, <laughs> there's a few moments of joy and hope that are given in these times. And one is that one moment, point of joy and hope that I find and that we benefit from is that we're all in together. <laughs> it's a crappy little log uh, ride on, you know, I don't know why I'm getting the visual, like um, a amusement park, everybody's on one of those log rides and just like- Yeah, it's like a, a log, flume, a log, log flume ride. Log yes. Flume going down it together. So when one person figures something out that, that helps the world, like they're sharing, we're all in this together. So we benefited from um, people pivoting and learning and growing the science, the medical community, the uh, things that, that they were figuring out that could apply to making art safely. So I'm thinking specifically Scarlet Square and, and Central Square was built completely um, COVID safe in conversation with uh, the medical uh, medical professionals and scientists. How can you make an outdoor performance venue once there was this common knowledge that being outside socially distance is, is a safer practice? So um, how can you make a testing once it was available, testing infrastructure? How can you build that into a performance? How can you build an outdoor venue that is socially distanced and the stage that is large enough to prevent fray and things like that. So once that understanding was out there, they were able to build this venue. We were able to come in and make some programming, get some money into pockets of some artists that we uh, support. We had a, a six person cabaret series where um, we pay them a union wage, but then also all donated funds for the link. And thank you folks in Cambridge. They tend to like to donate to us and we like to take it because we, we value them. These are, you know, they're, we, we value they. <laughs> That's where the, the organization grew and that community really embraced us and supported us. We were able to double, I'm sorry, I didn't say that all donations went also into the pockets of the artists involved. So they actually got double their salary through donations. So that, that was like a highlight we wow. wanted to, I mean, I think we want to highlight is like, how can we fund artists in this time? Yeah, that's such a big question. And so many things that you just said are fascinating because I've been speaking to people who run very large, uh, very old institutions. In comparison, you're a young, nimble institution. You don't have the problem of having to, you know, currently having the overhead of a rent or a space. It allows you to make fast, interesting decisions. And, and also hearing, you know, what you just said about the Boston and the greater New England community. I mean, my sense was that a lot of the responses nationwide are um, regional because, you know, that the information, there's just, it's too big a country. There's too many factors going on in various places for there to be kind of an, all of the theater companies reacting in the same way or finding the same solutions. So, I mean, everything that you just said kind of bears that out. You're like um, really bringing that example forward. And so thank you for that. That. I know that we have to finish up here in a couple of minutes. So I would just love to hear from both of you, kind of on a personal level, what's giving you joy right now? I know it's giving, I can do something real quick. I'm watching more television. I'm usually always on the run. I've not been, I've been in my apartment six years. This is the most time I've spent here. I'm actually able to watch TV now that I'm not going from job to job. So I, Queen's Gambit has been the latest thing. But in general, 
this is so cheesy. I go on like just kind of vision walks with friends over Zoom or phone calls. So I, an artist that I just am a fan of that I've always wanted to work together with. I'm like, can we just have Zoom coffee and dream just to have the joy of potential, you know, not worry about budgets and timing and contracts and dollars and blah, blah. You know, what, what would you love to create? What could we create together? And, um, or what shows, what dream shows would we do? Let's, let's live in the dreamland. So like a little mental vacation in the dream world and not worry about all the stuff that makes things difficult. Mm, I love that. I'm going to say right now, my niece is bringing me joy. Just sort of thinking about her. She's the mm. most adorable little peanut. She just turned five. You can see her personality growing. And I say that because I'm like, I just moved into this place. She painted a picture and I was like, Auntie Dawn wants that picture. And she said, what are you going to give me for it? And I was like, <laughs> candy? You take a candy trade? But I like framed it. And that idea of like, oh, this little kid made this really lovely piece of artwork, even though it's like, right, five-year-old. But that like, I can frame it and I can put it up and I can enjoy it and, and see her and see her personality and see her growing in that. And that maybe the future, like it just gives me a way to future cast that's a little nicer. Like, all right, all the work that we're doing, stories that we're telling, the way that we move in this world is so that she is going to have a better and brighter future so that things will be easier for her so that she doesn't have to do the hard work that we have to do fighting for our space right? Because she won't have to do that because we've already done it. Well, boom to both of you, because those were both such beautiful answers. It's like nothing more need be said. Thank you. You're both superstars. I can't thank you enough for being here today. Oh, can I say thank you? Thank you for having us. And I do remember meeting yes, you it was in the lobby. I do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I mean, I kind of do too, actually. You were standing, you were, your back was uh, against a wall, like, and I, I just, I do remember that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, this was a pleasure. Thank you. And so it was a good time to chat with my compadre, my partner in crime, Dylan Simmons. Thank you both. Thank you.